small park land, there's no, no yeah. walls or anything. No walls, no fences. And some fine trees, but it's not striped now, of course. And now, now we come to the avenue where this is really life began. Yes. They're in their 80s now, two ladies of Galway, as George Bernard Shaw once described them. They're Anne and Catherine Gregory, the granddaughters of Lady Augusta Gregory, founder of the Abbey Theatre, playwright, patron of the arts and mistress of Cool Park, County Galway. The house at Cool Park no longer stands, but its woods, gardens and lake still attract many visitors. It's a place of memory and atmosphere. Anne and Catherine have come back to their childhood home to savour the memories of 70 years ago. We were born and bred, bred and born at Cool, and for all our early life, Grandma was really the centre of our lives, wasn't she? Yes, Completely. she was. I mean, she wasn't just grandmother, really. I mean, she was almost mother as well, wasn't oh, she? Oh, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. Uh, I mean, she was quite a disciplinarian. She didn't spoil us all the time. Not all of it. Not all of it, no. But, well, she brought us up. The main thing was we had to be on time for meals. Yeah. or And manners and man make us man. Yeah. Was one of her Absolutely. things. Three quarters of a century ago, Lady Gregory played hostess at Cool to the cream of Irish writers and artists. Yeats came here, as did Shaw, O'Casey and Singh, Somerville and Ross, St John Gogarty and Augustus John. But important grown-ups don't always seem important to children. As Anne Gregory recalls in her delightful memoir of childhood, Me and New. Dr. Gogarty was one of Mama's friends who came to Coo. We had been told that he was terribly witty and told very funny stories. Lou and I kept close to the grown-ups as they walked down to the flower garden, but couldn't understand even a single joke he made. All the grown-ups laughed and laughed, but I think he was talking Latin a lot of the time, and it all seemed terribly dull. We drive into Cool Park under a canopy of great ilex trees. As soon as we park the car, Anne and Catherine recognise a favourite tree. It must have been a damp site stronger or else we were much lighter. But Catherine, remember it's about 60 years old. It's been growing there for 60, 70 years since we climbed it, for heaven's sake. <laughs> Maybe More than 60 years. Yeah, we weren't 20 when we were going up it. Shush, cat, keep quiet. <laughs> 70 years, 73 years ago we climbed it. Yeah, And we used to climb so we were higher than the wall and we could look over and see down into the vineries and see Grandma yeah. down there or see Tim Gormley. And if was Tim was up. out in the garden, we used to nip into behind one of the greenhouses where the boiler was and pinch his dinner, which yeah. was the ah. most heavenly uh, uh, soda bread. Soda bread has never tasted the same as it was super. And it was we used to eat, bread too, eat his dinner. And we used to eat it. <laughs> Poor old Timmy never complained. No, he didn't. Didn't do it every day. He didn't have it. <laughs> well, he did. We move into the walled garden. 
The centrepiece of this garden is a magnificent copper beech, the autograph tree. It was to this tree, with its long straight trunk, that Grandma brought all the important people who stayed at Cool to carve their names. She often showed us GBS and Augustus John, and we actually watched Sean O'Casey carve his name. He was very good at it and said that he had had lots of practice as he had often carved his name in the door of his tenement flat in Dublin. We were amazed. What an extraordinary thing to do. And what on earth was a tenement flat? Yes, we watched him. We watched him. We were frightfully impressed, you know, how did he manage to do it so well. And uh, I think he then said that he used to carve, he was used to carving his name, I remember what he said, on on the door or on his uh, desk. school desk. School desks, I think. Looking at it now, it's it's really, the list is at the bottom of the tree, it's a who's who of... Yes, Irish literature, isn't it? Mm. GBS, John Maysfield. Needy, uh, Countess Hall, Augustus John, John. Mansfield, Eleanor, Douglas Hyde, of course. I didn't someone did it for Grandma, didn't they? Didn't someone do Grandma's um, signature for her? I'm, I'm not I'm sure, sure about she said that in something, yes. Yeats, of course, Sean, Singh. Violet Martin. Mm-hmm. Who is my godmother? You, you know the Violet Martin, you know the Somerville and Ross people. Mm-hmm. That was the Ross of the Somerville and Ross. It's Jack Yates, of course, and his little donkey when we can see it. Yeah. What's at the bottom? Quinn. John Quinn. John Quinn. <laughs> How dare you, Sally Orgwood? Well, Sarah, uh, the exorbitant lady. Yes, Margaret, John Quinn. I hadn't realised it. Now, you see, I knew he'd been here, Cat. He sang, he wrote on it. Yeah. Well, I don't think we'd better let this one in, do you? Well, not unless he put Junior. Junior, <laughs> We passed through the garden and into the nutwood. Well, this, of course, was absolute heaven, as you can imagine. The beginning of the nutwood. But, of course, the paths weren't solid like this. They may have been solid, but they, well, nowadays they were mossy. And, of course, there were far more big trees then yes, it, you know, I don't say it was thick forest ending but there were big trees I was against this rather well there was none of, no scratchy one of these masses stuff. of uh, growth here there was big trees all, all along as they said you can see the, the butts of them where they were around the, the big trees you know they used to it's quite incredible they used to bring trees from abroad didn't they? A, yep. lot of, a lot of these the trees they brought were from abroad brought in and planted and they all seem to have liked the climate, but they certainly did very well. We only once saw a badger. It was getting dark one evening, and it was really only the flash of its striped face we saw, as it realised we were there before we saw it. Even though we were lying quite still, watching some baby rabbits... Because of this, we were very disbelieving when Mr Yates came in one evening and told us all that he had been walking along in the nutwood and he had suddenly seen a badger, which had allowed him to stroke his head before vanishing into the undergrowth. Well, of course, if he'd put his hand on the badger, the badger would still be holding him, I think. <laughs> yes, it was really my little dog, Teddy, who had a 
hid like a badger. And there's no, he was out hunting. He was out the other way, wasn't he, Cap? Um, beyond the Isabella. Like the, it was Isabella, actually. Isabella, yes. Mm. Mm. And we saw a lot of uh, yets. Yes, oh yes. He was about a lot. He, he wasn't interested, actually, in children. Why should he be? Uh, he wasn't rude or anything. I mean, he... He just ignored one, really. Yes. Well, he'd say hello, he'd say good morning. Well, I mean, you know the story of <laughs> yes, you know meeting the small boy coming down the stairs in his own house when the gates was going up. And he actually said, oh, hello, young man, I don't know you, do I? It was his own son. Yes, Michael. <laughs> Michael told us that. Yeah. <laughs> he really, you know, quite extraordinary. Of course, you must remember that, you know, what we're talking about, and the Yates and all these people, we were children, they were grown-ups, we had no idea they were important mm. people in any way. As far as we were concerned, they were just adults rather boring. Just adults and just friends of grandmas. Yeah. I mean, we take shelter from the rain in the visitor centre, once the stables of Cool Park. By the time we've enjoyed a cup of tea, the rain has cleared. We resume our walk passing by the remains of the farm buildings. That was uh, the cattle... Uh, the, oh, yeah, there was a cattle shed and an um, immense manure... walled manure heap under which they've now discovered the most marvellous spring yes. water. <laughs> yes, absolutely wonderful. Which we tell them they ought to bottle and sell us cool water. water. <laughs> and then around the wall on the other side there was... There was a forge, yes. uh, and a couple sign- of other outbuildings. And million bats. Millions of bats. Bats were in oh. one of them. Absolutely incredible. They can remember the smell so. Yeah. We pass by the kitchen garden, which was originally the apple garden. We seldom ate the apples when we were in the garden preferring to fill the legs of our knickers with them to carry off to our camp. The elastic in our knickers usually held well, and though it wasn't particularly comfortable to have six or eight apples clustered around each leg above the knee, it was certainly the handiest way of carrying a large number. We used to do it every day, because if we went out in the woods we had to have something to eat. I mean, you couldn't go out for a couple of hours and have nothing to eat, so we used to take apples with us. And if we did, we went and picked them, of course, picked them up out here, and we carried them in our knickers. We had knickers with elastic around the knees, and it was a wonderful way of carrying. It was a bit duck-like walking, but I can remember vividly, we came out one day, out here, out this gate, and Mum and um, John, Augustus John, were coming up from the yard, and Mum stopped, I can remember a look of absolute horror, with us walking with our feet rather far apart, and she's saying, what on earth's the matter with you children? What's wrong with you? And I think we were rather nervous. She said, oh, it's, well, it's the apples, you see. What apples? And Augustus John was absolutely breaking his sides with laughing at the sight of us. Throughout their childhood years at Cool, Anne and Catherine were sustained by the love, the care and the concern of their grandmother. St. Stephen's Day. The darling children arrived this evening last week, well and bright, happy and simple as ever. Margaret came on Saturday, all very happy days. And yesterday we were all at church, 
and had the Christmas tree very pleasantly, and all has gone well. She obviously was the great influence in both your lives. Oh, yes. We were very, very lucky. Yeah. She really was quite fantastic. And her incredible friendliness and nice outlook. You know, class or creed meant nothing to her. Absolutely. You know, everyone was equal. And it didn't matter if she was in the middle of doing her day's writing. If someone came to the door wanting apples or can we go and gather some sticks or anything, she'd come down and... I passed the time of day with them. Nothing. But, you know, that was an extraordinary thing. Um, All that time that we were here, being brought up and living here and having a wonderful life, she was writing. She was running the Abbey Theatre. She was going up overnight, coming back again, writing, writing. We never had any... And going over to London, fighting the lane pictures. The lane pictures, yes. And, but she always had time for us. She never seemed... I mean, you'd go in at any time. It doesn't matter if she was in the middle of a play or anything. You'd go in and say something perfectly silly, like, you know, come and see, we found the blackbird's nest or something. But she was with you at once, wasn't she? Yep. About anything. Yep. Always. August 18th, 1919. Today, I have been, as usual, gathering fruit for the children and have arranged nets in the vinery for the ripening nectarines to fall into, and have covered plum jam, and written a scenario for my Aristotle play. With no disrespect to your, to your natural mother, but she, she really was your mother. Oh, she was. Oh, she was. Absolutely, yes. completely. She was. Oh, absolutely. And she was your teacher? Yes. What was she like as a teacher? I suppose, with hindsight, <laughs> that she should have uh, she should have uh, thrown her weight about a bit more. I think so. Yeah. You know, perhaps she was slightly easy going, but no way did you miss your lessons. I mean, you know. Well, we had a pretty good religious upbringing. In that, we read a what did we read? Chap- a chapter of the Bible every morning after breakfast. Yes, out loud to her. Out loud. Um, was it alternate verses? Or yes, virtually. I yes, I think it was. You know, mm. the Bible's more or less, in, well, I say verses, mm. you know, in paragraphs. When you look at photos of her and herself, I mean, she was like a Queen Victoria in a sense, you know, she was always in black. And I suppose, in she a way, a, looked rather gloomy. She wasn't. She had this tremendous sense of humour. And, and laughing sense was of absolutely humor, wonderful. And, uh, Tears ran down her cheeks, didn't she? She wasn't a prude in any way. Oh, no, that wonderful story about caterpillars. You, you talk and you say it better than I do. Talk, you remember the lion? Yes, and I was just going to say, uh, at that time, instead of having a question time from just out of the blue, there were books of questions. And we used to spend quite a few evenings having these questions and things. One of the questions was, why in public places, this would be England, of course, does the water at drinking troughs at stations and places always come out of the mouth of a lion? Dead silence from all of us. And then suddenly Grandma said, well, it look awful coming out the other end. <laughs> she then realised what she'd said. And she, she laughed and she... She couldn't stop laughing. No. Nor could we, of course. No. 
It was absolutely so yeah. I can still see her going through the handkerchief about and mopping her eyes with the tears pouring down. Really down the face to mopping. January 4th, 1930. Richard, Anne, Catherine arrived yesterday in time for lunch, all so well and cheery. Richard and Catherine went out to the woods. Then for tea, Guy arrived. A very happy evening, and the wireless worked well, Richard turning it on to Paris. The darling's bright faces have turned up the coin head instead of tail, and I am thankful... Anne and Catherine's world wasn't confined to Cool Park. As founder of the Abbey Theatre, Lady Gregory had to make many trips to Dublin, and she often brought the children with her. The train journey to Dublin was always exciting. The noise and bustle of the city almost overwhelmed the sisters after the peace of Cool Park. But a visit to the Abbey Theatre was very special. Going to the Abbey with Grandma was such fun. For us, who had never been inside the theatre, it was like magic. We could hardly follow anything that was going on, but it all seemed beautiful. Sally Allgood looked marvellous. Was it Sally oh. saying moved that? about like a queen. I know queen. who I love. Yes. Sally, yeah. She used to sing Sally Allgood's song, I know who I love. I, went, I know who loves me. Yes, that was Sally. I know who I love, but the dear knows who I'll marry. But the dear knows who I'll marry. I have stockings of silk, shoes of fine green leather, combs to buckle me hair, and a ring for every finger. Feather beds are soft, and painted rooms are bonny, but I would leave them all to go with my love, Johnny. Barry Fitzgerald was terrific and terribly funny and we thought he was rather like John Diveny in the way he talked and the sort of jokes he made. Lennox Robinson came in and out, rather like a ghost we thought, very very tall and thin and with a long thin nose. He didn't like us much, I don't think, and never spoke to us. Mr Yates, if ever he appeared, just said, Good morning, Anne. Good morning, Catherine. And moved majestically on. No, it was a wonderful life. Absolutely marvellous. And out of all the great figures that passed through that wonderful life, one stands out for both Anne and Catherine. Oh, GBS. Yes, Bernard Shaw, every every time. He Mm. was wonderful. He obviously liked children, I think, because he was a natural, wasn't he? He really was. He used to, mind you... Mind you, he used to play hunt the thimble with us and he cheated, he used to look. And we were desperately upset when we found he was cheating, really, yes. really upset. But uh, one visit, which was during the First War, uh, <laughs> we weren't allowed bread with jam and butter on it. You could have jam or butter, wartime. Uh, GBS asked for jam and Grandma looked at him and said, but you've got butter on your bread, you don't have both. Oh. 
So the next thing we spotted was he sort of held up his plate to Grandma and said, look, that's only a slice of dry bread. Now can I have jam, please? And she said, yes, of course. But we'd seen him turn the slice of bread over and the butter was on the underside. We were horrified. We were horrified. I think, mind you, we were probably thinking, why Why earth didn't we think of doing that? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Very envious. And Grandma, of course, really knew perfectly well. I'm not quite sure when or how it dawned on us that GBS was cheating. It started as a sort of awkward feeling that he went to directly to the place we'd hidden the thimble. He couldn't always be so clever. And then one evening, having talked it over earlier in the day, we arranged that I would watch him through my fingers while Nu hid the thimble. I gave Nu my solemn word I wouldn't look at her at all. To my utter horror, I saw GBS turn around quite blatantly and look, definitely look through his fingers where Nu was hiding it. It was so embarrassing. A grown-up actually cheating? I'd never been in a situation like this before. Anyhow, we were all upset about this and... And also he was ill, I think, afterwards. But anyhow, we were upset about it. And Grandma said, well, you know, he, must, he was very hurt that you thought he was cheating. So we'll, you must send him some apples, some of his special apples. So we sent him off some apples. And we had a most marvellous poem, which he sent as thank you. And uh, it was written in his own handwriting on, post, on the back of pe- postcards, which had pictures on one side. And it, um, it started, two ladies of Galway called Catherine and Anna whom some call a Kushla and some call a Lana, on finding the gate of the fruit garden undone, stole Grandma's apples and sent them to London. And Grandma said the poor village school children were better behaved than the well-brought-up cool children and threatened them with the most merciless whippings if ever again they laid hand on her pippins. In vain they explained that the man who was battening on Grandma's apples would die without fattening. She seized the piano and threw it at Anna, then shrieking at Catherine, just let me catch you, she walloped her hard with the drawing room statue. God save us, herself has gone crazy, cried Marion. Is that how a lady of title should carry on? If you dare to address me like that, shouted Granny, goodbye to your wages, you shan't have a penny. Go back to your pots and your pans and your canisters. With that she threw Marion over the banisters. And now, declared Granny, I feel so much better that I'll write Mr. Shaw a most beautiful letter and tell him how happy our lives are at Cool under Grandmama Darling's benevolent rule. <laughs> he was absolutely wonderful getting that absolute. Wasn't it? Was absolutely terrific. He was wonderful. But there you are, long time ago. Our walk through the woods takes us to Cool Lake, a lake immortalised for its wild swans by William Butler Yeats. The trees are in their autumn beauty. The woodland paths are dry. Under the October twilight, the water mirrors a still sky. Upon the brimming water among the stones are nine and fifty swans. 
The nineteenth autumn has come upon me since I first made my count. I saw, before I had well finished, all suddenly mount and scatter, wheeling in great broken rings upon their clamorous wings. We've just been looking at the swans down on the lake, but what, what again are your memories of Mr. Yates? Well, um, as a, a rather large, imposing person who didn't really take any notice of us, really, wasn't it, Yeah, yeah basically. He, he wasn't... Uh, Rude he wasn't rough with us, so I don't think he just ignored one, really. He didn't do it on purpose, he just was out of this world half the time, having yeah. a way. He hummed a lot. He sounded actually more like moaning, didn't yes, it? Yes, it did. It was a noise. <laughs> I don't know. Then it was one of the times he'd been humming. I can't think what sort of meter he was humming in, but it was, this was the time that I was sent up to the room he was sitting in. He used to have a second room upstairs and told Mr. Yates wanted to see me. I thought, dear heavens, what's happening now? So I went in and he said, sit down. And then he suddenly began reading the poem about yellow hair. Never shall a young man thrown into despair by those great honey-coloured ramparts at your air. Love you for yourself you for alone, yourself. and not your yellow hair. But I can get a hair dye and set such colour there, brown or black or carrot, that young men in despair shall love me for myself alone, and not my yellow hair. I was very embarrassed. I thought it was awful, awful doggle. Anyway, um, you know, I sort of said, oh, how marvellous, Mr. Yates, read it again. Um, which, of course, he'd, that was splendid. And then I rushed out saying something stupid, like, I must go and wash my hair or something. But not very long after that, um, Mr. Yates was um, broadcasting from Belfast, I think it was. And um, this was on, and Mr. Yates comes on, and he says, and this is a poem to the daughter of my old friend, Lady Gregory, and she has hair like a cornfield in the sun, or words of this effect. And then did this, never shall a young man thing. Well, next morning, we come down, and there's a envelope by my plate um, from uh, this Austrian Goulding, who was boyfriend there at the time. And um, I thought, well, this is absolutely marvellous. And opened it, a poem. And I thought, wonderful, made it at last. And the poem read, If I was alone on an island... And only Anne with me there. I'd make myself cushions and bolsters by stuffing her skin with her hair. End of a lovely. Yes, you and your admirers. Um, <laughs> the only time I've ever been charged with dangerous driving or anything wrong on the road. Oh, age, I was aged about 15. Oh. And you got a sheep's eye from the butcher but you put into a um, <laughs> matchbox and you were posting to one of the go-getters yes, actually go wasn't it mm. registered <laughs> post oh. and it had gone, the postman had taken it you yes. see when he delivered the letters he'd take the post out and you must have told me I that. was mean enough to tell mum mm. and mum said go into the post office and stop it, get take it out of the post. And I said, well, how do I get there? Mum said, take the car. 
It's a Model T. Go quickly because the post goes out in whatever it was, 20 minutes. And I drove furiously through Gort down to the post office which is on the road out. <laughs> and I was got for dangerous driving and what have you. <laughs> and, you, you, uh, got the, you got the thing? I, yes. Went to the post office and said, look, there's a registered letter in the post. It's not to be sent. Can you give it back, please? And blow me the post office. Did! Yes, I know. I, I, a registered thing. I mean, yes. to come out <laughs> just like that. Oh, I was fine. Ten. Bob. Lot of money in those I days. was absolutely livid because I thought this was a wonderful answer to something rude that the chap had said. Yes. And I was livid that it hadn't got there. Mm. All the trouble you'd been to. Yes, to get one. Could <laughs> get a sheep's eye from Finnegan the butcher. We now embark on the second stage of our journey. We travel some 20 miles to the Burren in County Clare, to Mount Vernon, Lady Gregory's summer home. It's now the home of Mrs. Helmore. Anne and Catherine have not been here for 60 years. Well, it meant our wonderful summer every year that we can remember, way back. We used to come over here every single year, came over about the middle of July and stayed right through till the end of September. And we had our own cow and the pony and the donkey, which walked down from Cool. And the pony always pulled the (laughs) hasp of the gate open and took the back again. Yep. Several times is that they used to be loosed out here in front. They'd go back to cool. Mm. But they used to start off in the morning with all the excitement of coming down. They used to start off, the cows started off first walking, being driven all the way down from cool. (coughs) And then Tommy came, must be next, mustn't he? Tommy. The donkey. The donkey, which the donkey in his trap came down. And next to that, in our young days, uh, we must have come down in in the wagonette ourselves. I hardly remember that because later on mm. we came, you know, other ways. But the wagonette was full of all, every sort of luggage and food and everything which we brought down with us. And all came down, and it was so exciting because in the evening they used to, um, they used to come on foot. We'd be here before them, all of them, and we'd wait for them to appear because they were all walking, the rest of them. And you could see them, if you, if you look up there, find the base of that hill, you could see them coming round, couldn't you? Yep. And if it was dry, you could see this uh, dust going up, and you could see them right away from the corner of that hill coming. And then they'd walk in here, right in front, like that. It was like the flight from Egypt, Mum always said, coming down, and they were here. Marvellous. Mm. Yeah, the door's open first. Oh, lovely. Mm. Hello, Miss Hamor. I brought two visitors for you. This is Andy Winton and Catherine Kennedy. Good morning. One always feels like saying, welcome to our house. Yes, when were you last living here? Oh, uh, 35, I suppose it was Before the war. Yes, yes, Yes. before the war. Now, just tell me about the the mantelpieces. Well, the two mantelpieces, one here and one in the sitting room opposite, they were put together and made by our father and and also Augustus John together. They used to build, they had a great time building them, I understand. And we were told as children that, you know, they'd been made, and we used to look at them. And we used to look and see if we could see anything slightly crooked among the, one of the 
bricks or one of the things. And if there was something a bit awry, we used to be very loyal and say, oh, Dad, I couldn't have done that. Augustus, Mr. John must have done that and made that mistake. But aren't they lovely? And were uh, the tiles? The, the, were they oh, yes. yes. Yeah. Spanish, I suppose. I, I honestly don't know. No, I, 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 I have no idea. They, they are absolutely they're charming. You know, Kat? Funnily enough, I always thought they were Italian. Yes. I think possibly because um, in one of the stables outside there were sacks and sacks of... Um, They're still there. ...coloured... They're still there. Are they? Are they? Yeah. The, the, yes. Yes. What do you call Mosaic. it? Um, mosaics. Mosaics, yes. Yeah. Really? Oh, I'll show them to you. And our father brought them back, hadn't he? Yes. Because they were going to do a floor or something with them. But never did. Could those mosaic pieces still be here nearly 100 years later? The two ladies of Galway can't wait to find out. And Catherine goes crawling on her hands and knees in a dark storeroom. What we're doing is trying to get a handful of mosaics with these little t- which were here in our day, which were going to be made into a floor to cover a floor, or part of a floor. I'm afraid they're too a penny. Would yeah, yeah. oh, oh, you like me to get you a shovel? So I've got yeah, I wouldn't be able to work one in it, actually. I've just got the bear with the, my hand. We won't fill them. <laughs> Can you manage, Kev? Man, your bag, for goodness sake. Good morning. Oh, there's a... I'm sorry. Sorry I'm not telling you more about them. The excitement of finding is... Yeah. I think just one more handful. It's incredible to think they've been here for, what, 70 years? Nearly 100 years. Nearly 100 years, because they were here, you see, they'd have been here before we were born. Hmm. So, I mean, that's taking us on a bit. (laughs) We say goodbye to Mrs Helmore and Mount Vernon and promise to return. There remains one final leg in our journey. We drive to Galway City. Number 22 Dominic Street, now the Galway Arts Centre, was then the home of Anne and Catherine's godmother. We've come in off the hall into what was the sitting room, and uh, that half was um, our godmother's bedroom. That's right, yes, and she was bedridden. And, um, she used to go out, she used to get taken out in a wonderful form of, not a pushchair, I think it was towed by a man who was called Barnet, and he used to go on, he was a so-and-so of a chap, actually, and Godmother used to have a stick, and she used to have to prod him when she wanted to, <laughs> to do anything, and he yes. pretended he didn't hear. Yes. His name, I remember him vividly, Barnet. He was a surly old boy, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. I'm not surprised, actually, <laughs> the life he had to be. <laughs> uh, wasn't there something at the top of the stairs here? Oh, oh was there not? Was there yeah. not? A huge stuffed bear with his arms more or less out. And on his two hands there were vast um, plates. Really, it should have been in the hall for putting visiting, visiting cards yes, on. With visiting, yes, with uh, But he was stood up on his hind legs with his hands out, and he was a great deal taller than we were. I mean, mm. quite a terrifying animal. He's <laughs> nearly as tall, actually, as, um, as John... I imagine. I, brother, I mean, a big um, brown bear. You know, it wouldn't be about that size. Nice. It's rather, more, rather more hair, but otherwise, it's very much the same. <laughs>
we were terrified of him. He, used, he was stood there right at the top of the stairs there, and there was a passage along the side of it to the bathroom. Oh, bathroom. yes, and the bathroom flooring didn't meet. There were gaps, and you could look down into the kitchen, into and the kitchen. There we used to look at Godmother's cook, <laughs> having fun and games with uh, whoever came. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> No. That was uh, one of the things we really enjoyed, This house has a poignant memory for Anne and Catherine. In 1918, their father, a World War I pilot, was killed in action in Italy. It was at number 22 Dominic Street that we heard about Dada being killed. I can remember vividly Grandma arriving unexpectedly and looking into the sitting room where Nu and I were, and how she never greeted us at all, just said, where is your mother, and went out again. I think that Grandma, not even saying, hello chicks, upset us more than anything that day. Yes, I was six and you were four. Yes, mm. So we were young, I mean, but I can, actually both of us can remember it very vividly. Yes. Um, horrifying, really, seeing Grandma crying. Everywhere, yes. You know, dreadful. And then, um, of course, Mum was in with Godmother. I came out and then <laughs> Kat saw all of us crying and she didn't really know why and she began crying to be <laughs> in the swim. You yes, I remember <laughs> Mum saying, stop it, because you don't know what you're crying for. <laughs> and then Grandma took the two of us up to... Some school near the grammar school. Yes, that's right. That day, you mean? The following, following day, day, I yes. think, mm. and dumped us there. Mm. Really, you know, to get us away point. from the well, sadness and everything. And probably the greatest sadness of all came 14 years later, in 1932, when their beloved grandmother died. Desolation, really, yes. wasn't it? Yes, it was real desolation. It, um, Unbelievable. She'd been way. ill for uh, a long time, but not bedridden. But she was confined to one floor of the house. Ellen wired for us the next morning that uh, we ought to come down. We were up in Kildare at the time. And we came down. And she was un- more or less unconscious. Mm. And then she wanted prayers. Mm. She wanted... Um, Holy Communion before she died, Edward, uh, the clergyman, come out, and John Dipney was sent in. And the clergyman's wife, <laughs> don't let the priest ever get married. <laughs> the clergyman's wife said, no, well, he'd come out the following day because she had him, the, the clergyman, planting her bulbs. <laughs> and poor grandma, she was dead by the following day. That was a shocking thing. Mm. But uh, she died that night, wasn't it? Yep. It was, it was dreadful. It was absolutely Well, then, with the world to us, mm. you know. I don't know, you, you know, we were not old for our age at all. And we'd never really mixed with youngsters, except at school, which you didn't stay at very long. But we never had young people out here to play. When you, there weren't any, really, was the answer. But you never felt you wanted anything at all except what we had, which was the woods and grandma and ponies yep. and so on. Mm. It was a perfect life. And I suppose 
looking back, that this was a large part of the joy of living at Cool with Grandma, knowing that whatever we said or did, however silly other people thought we were, Grandma not only understood everything we meant to do or say, she also very often made us feel even cleverer than we had thought we were ourselves. <laughs>